I know you always make the jokes. I make the jokes. Uh, or try to. Whoa. So it's okay for you to make fun of me, but it's not okay for me to make fun of you. I mean, I, I got to balance the scale somehow. Let's see how it is. Hi, this is Cody Daglorians. And this is Neil Daglorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay, Bearded Fruit. Bearded Fruit, Bearded Fruit, Bearded Fruit. Can I introduce myself um, another time? Yeah, go ahead. Hi, this is Master Neil Daglorians. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, am, you can call me Master. Yes, because he got his Master of Fine Arts. Um, I'm a master now, so yes. if everybody could just tweet hashtag Master Neil, <laughs> um, that would be great. Thanks. Improve my clout score. Yeah, we have had. Uh, it's been a rainy weekend here in Connecticut, but we've uh, been celebrating because Neil got his master. The of universe. Fine arts. The universe is sad now that I'm no longer yeah. a student, but a master from the University of Connecticut. Oh, now they know where we live. UConn. No. Not like they couldn't Google my name. I mean, there's that. So this week we're going to talk about uh, movies. We're talking about movies this week. Uh, big gay movies. Or not so big gay movies. Movies uh, that aren't gay yet. Movies that aren't gay yet. Yeah, might and, be. And LGBT representation in films. But we're going to start by talking about uh, Disney. We're going to start with Disney. So uh, the like most anticipated sequel maybe of all time for Disney animated films, uh, Frozen 2 is now in production the frozening the frozening return of the frozen attack of the killer frozen <laughs> attack attack on frozen <laughs> exactly a uh, frozen 2 is now in production and um you know like little kids and i guess adults everywhere are eager to see this idina menzel's very happy for she's the next super paycheck. happy Kristen bell as she's, well she's gonna let it go all over again but the start of production for Frozen 2 has uh, launched something interesting on Twitter. There's a hashtag on Twitter that is calling Disney to give Elsa a girlfriend. Lady lesbian Frozen. <laughs> Hasht it's hashtag give Elsa a girlfriend. And uh, so some Twitter users are trying to encourage um, the makers of Frozen and Disney in general to create, finally, after the entire history of uh, animated features ever uh, a, a queer character and giving Elsa a girlfriend. So should Elsa have a girl? Um, you know, my answer, <laughs> obviously Elsa should have a girlfriend. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this now that I'm a master of fine arts. Um, because a lot of my thesis research actually dealt with childhood and queerness. Um, and in, in my paper, I actually specifically reference, um, Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and uh, Steven Universe, specifically, but also Gravity Falls. Um, what's interesting is that um, we have seen queer, canonical queer characters in children's media before, but it tends to be more on the Nickelodeon side of things. But Disney has, um, they have had queer characters. Most recently, uh, Gravity Falls, they had, um, oh, I forget their names. It's in my paper. You'll be able to read it on the digital commons soon. But uh, they had, in their season finale, they revealed that two of the main, uh, two of the uh, supporting characters all throughout the story had actually been in a relationship the whole time. And it, it, it's it's interesting because queerness within children's media has tend to be it's tended to be that kind of 
hidden thing like they were gay all along and we didn't know it and then they're finally out to be outed in a uh, legend of Korra it was a similar situation where the two main characters Asami and Korra both female who also shared there is a love triangle during those stories with um, this uh, character named Mako it was funny because now they're together and it's like they both left Mako for each other I don't know. I'm into that. Anyway, so they, they ended up uh, leaving into the spirit world together hand in hand. And then the creators afterwards had to be like, yeah, that was supposed to be queer. You were supposed to be feeling that. There's a reason you felt that. Um, and it, it's interesting that that queerness within within childhood and within children's media has to be hidden. Whereas romantic vibes between two teenagers um, is totally kosher. And it, it's really interesting how... Uh, sexuality that is not hetero is allowed is not allowed in childhood i don't know i i totally am on board with having queer characters in these animated films and like i think it would be totally rad if elsa had a girlfriend i guess there's a part of me that also just wonders you know like is is it shoehorning something into a, a world that is already established not necessarily because i mean we haven't seen elsa have any sort of we haven't seen Elsa have, as a character, have any sort of romantic interest at all. You don't see that in the first movie. I don't know. We also haven't seen, we haven't seen the like little sequel short that they made. So I don't know. Maybe she does have a love interest in that. But otherwise, like we, they haven't necessarily established that Elsa actually swings one way or the other, so to speak. So I don't think it's necessarily shoehorning, and I don't think it's necessarily even just like making something queer for the sake of representation, which is also not necessarily beneficial. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that that's also problematic to creating something, like making a character queer just so that there is a queer person, even if it doesn't necessarily support your storytelling or, or support the world that has been created. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it could also just be that she's queer and she happens to be queer, so... That's kind of what they did with uh, with Legend of Korra. Like, Asami and Korra just kind of fell into a relationship. And it and it didn't necessarily... It didn't necessarily... It wasn't productive towards the narrative, necessarily. But also, it wasn't taking away from it. It just is what happened. And they built it up over a season. Over an entire season, we saw the signs that they were, like, developing feelings for each other. So, it, it, I don't think it's... not. I, I feel like there is the potential for it to be kind of problematic kind of tokeny but i think that there's also a lot of depending on the contextualization there's a lot of power uh, and potential for that and maybe it's just because of my age and and the kind of queer stories that i consumed growing up but there's something about about the coded storytelling that i actually really appreciate and value more than the explicit storytelling that's i mean yeah but Kids don't get codes. Like, they don't. They do, See, but they don't. But I don't know if that's true, because when you think about like fairy tales and, and those stories, those are all coded stories. Fairy tales and myths are all coded stories about universal human experiences. And so kids are always receiving these complicated adult lessons and these complicated stories about what it means to be a person in the world and how we navigate those things. And they're getting those stories in... Hansel and Gretel and the and Little Red Riding Hood and fairy tales like all of children's literature is built up as a code for telling complicated adult stories right but I mean you're basically saying that queerness has to be a complicated adult thing in saying that like 
Ariel could learn complicated adult lessons while also very clearly having a romantic interest in Eric and Prince Eric. Like, I, I don't understand. I, I think I think that there there is value in, in the coded queerness, but I feel I feel like that's not necessarily equivalent to the straight protagonists who get to live out very openly their love and their affection. And like, while yes, I, 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 I do agree with you that there is um, value in coded, uh, coding deeper meaning into children's, um, into children's media, there's also something valid to be said about the explicit and what is explicit and what isn't explicit. So why would hetero relationships be allowed to be explicit, whereas queer relationships aren't allowed to be explicit? Okay, I mean, all right, I, I, I can see that. And I... I don't know. Maybe I, there's this feeling that Frozen in particular was already to me some sort of queer story anyway, because it's about a this woman who has a secret that she has to hide from everybody and she doesn't really fully get to express who she is until that secret comes out. And she's even outed. I mean, really, in truth, Elsa's outed to everyone. Her power is outed and then she's like shunned. And it isn't until she fully accepts that that is who she is that she's kind of allowed to be okay and so like that narrative that resonates to me queerly resonatingly queerly yeah like i mean you know what i mean so frozen is kind of already that's a really interesting read telling a queer story in some way and so maybe the maybe the feeling that i'm having is like the to to take what is kind of beautifully woven into the fabric of this story and taking the the, as subtext and then making it text Mm -hmm. Well, there's ruined some of the delicate construction. There's already, um, quote unquote, theory, um, rumors, if you will, even that uh, there's already a queer character in Frozen outside of Elsa, the shopkeep. Oh, yeah. With his Um, cute family in the sauna. Yeah. And it's like, is that his husband or is that his oldest son? And all the other kids around him are young enough for it to kind of um, to to kind of really reference like maybe they are together. Mm -hmm. Um, But then like. So, so I feel like that almost sets itself up for a world and like Elsa, Elsa's experience with otherness kind of sets it up where why not? Why, why, why can't she be queer as well on top of that? Why not? Why can't she, she take the coming out? And, and I think, she, I think they're setting up a world where she can be queer and that not be why she's other. She's other because of her powers and not because of her queerness. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And like now she's not othered. Like like at the end of the movie, she is no longer othered. Um, so I think I think that there there's there's some potential and power in that. And like what what if I don't know. My my little head cannon is going all <laughs> over the place. It is shooting off ships here and there. No, so uh, this is I because I, I read this in one of the article in the in the Guardian article about this ha- this Twitter hashtag. Um, the director of Frozen, Jennifer Lee, uh, in an interview with uh, with the Guardian, I believe, was asked about the perceived undertone of homosexuality in the film, about like you know whether or not that the the shopkeeper is is a queer character or not. And this is what she said: We know what we made, but at the same time, I feel like once we hand the film over, it belongs to the world. So I don't like to say anything and let the fans talk. I think it's up to them. Hmm. And there's something I think maybe that kind of then moves to the core of of the the reluctance to make it explicit, even though I totally see the value of it. That you make things and 
regardless of your intentions, you know what you made, but it goes out into the world and it gets responded to by people and it gets embraced in other ways. You know, like I think in the same way that in like we were talking Sesame Street, that Bert and Ernie are then now coded as gay, that it, that's not necessarily the intention of Sesame Street because they're just roommates. But when it goes out into the world, it belongs to people with a certain set of experiences in a different way because they read it in that way. And that's the ultimate like universal value of art. I think maybe there's a danger in like Frozen 2, if Elsa has an explicit girlfriend, while that will absolutely speak to queer people, it limits the film's ability to speak to everyone, and it can still speak to queer people. I disagree. I don't think I don't think that, that I don't think by making Elsa queer and having her have that explicit queer experience that that immediately shuts her off to a universal experience. Um, namely, because queer is is the othered experience. And everyone experiences otherness in some way, shape, or form in their life. Everybody does. And for some people, it's very explicit every day. Uh, the world is just reminding people that they don't belong where they are. And for other people who experience otherness, it happens rarely and it's met with confusion. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that that's, that necessarily closes her off. I also really react negatively to the notion that um, it has to be hetero in order for it to be universal, which is kind of what you're saying. You're kind of saying, like, in order for something to be universal and accepted university, it has to be hetero. Like, no, it, it, would oh. be, it would be more progressive. It would be more progressive if in Frozen 2 there is no love interest. It's just a continuation of the story. That, okay. Like, Elsa's just asexual. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. I wasn't saying that. I wasn't trying to say that. I'm just saying, like, don't give her a girlfriend for the sake of giving her a romantic interest in a film in which she didn't have one to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like, you can continue to tell her story and she can be perceived in that coded queer way based on her the narrative of the world that they've created. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to give her a girlfriend to do that. Well, like, I think I think the main point of Frozen 1 was just that love between a family is just as equally as important as love between a romantic interest i think like that like that's the key thing and that it's a different kind of love but it's love and that's why um the whole the whole plot revolves around uh saving anna from becoming a total block of ice with um an act of true love and it comes in the form of her sacrificing herself to spoilers uh sacrificing herself to um save elsa from being attacked um and and it's it's just the notion that like that love is just as important as the love between the love she, uh, Anna perceives between her and Hans. Um, so I think I just think that that's the that's the key point in Frozen, and I think that they could build upon that and be like, okay, so like going forward from that theme of love between your family is just as important as love between a romantic interest. Going forward, love between two people of the same gender is also equal to that of love between your family and love between your romantic interests. I think I think there's a potential for that. They could weave a narrative that way. That'd be really great. And it's just this whole time I'm thinking about um, the Steven Universe uh, uh, episode, The Answer, and just like how incredibly progressive that was and how incredibly important that was for kids to see. Like Ruby and Sapphire become Garnet and all of the gems around them on, on the homeworld just freak out, absolutely freak out. And they've never seen anything like it before, and they don't know what to do with this new experience. And Ruby and Sapphire really enjoy it and realize that they love it and they love each other, even though society tells them they're not supposed to love each other. And it's like, if that's not like, 
a wonderful metaphor for queerness while also being explicit and explicitly queer. Um, I don't know what it is. So I just think like Steven Universe is laying the groundwork for that kind of re- um, that kind of representation. And I think Frozen could take a couple notes from that where you can make something that's still very coded. Um, because, I mean, they never use the word lesbian. They never use the word gay. And they never use the word queer. It's still very, very coded. That's true. Yet it's still very explicit to the point where like I think it's 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 recognizable that it's recognizable for queer kids and they see themselves in it, but I also think it's recognizable for non queer kids and they're like, Oh, like they love each other but they're not supposed to love each other. There's even like arguably a, a thing about race in there where it could where they're actually making a thing about um interracial relationships being valid because um fusions in in the lore fusions were only between gems of the same quote-unquote species and these are two gems of different species fusing to create something new so i mean are you could arguably say that's actually about race and not even about queerness but in reality it's an intersectional situation um i have a lot of feelings about Steven Universe. yeah well no and i think you know like before it gets misconstrued that i'm thinking like there should be no lesbians in frozen i that would be rad i would totally go see frozen hashtag 2. no lesbians in frozen <laughs> i would go see frozen 2 and if elsa had a girlfriend i would just love that i would be really that would be wonderful you just want to be cautious about it of course because i think there's there's a tendency sometimes when we are when we get really excited about a, like a socially progressive idea, we want to see that socially progressive idea in all the things. And I don't always necessarily know that, that putting something into a story just because you can makes the story better. And that's what I think Steven Universe gets right. Yeah, no, and, and I think maybe, you know, Steven Universe, I agree, handles those queer those queer narrative fibers in a really great way. And I think it's because the show was built that way it was built with that as the intention rebecca sugar was like oh adventure time you're not gonna let me make princess bubblegum and marceline girlfriends fine i'm gonna make a show where everyone's girlfriends and i think i don't necessarily know that frozen is built to sustain that and i think it could be and I, I just, you know, I really loved Frozen. As much as people hate on Frozen, it's really beautifully done. Even and it's though, a great story. Even though that one day you had to watch the first oh God, 90 minutes yeah, like seven so times in a row. When I was subbing, that, the film was out on DVD and the, I was subbing one day. And I literally had to watch the first half of Frozen at least eight times in a row. It was, um, it was a lot. It was so. So everybody out there, have Cody sub your classes. You yeah, will I, show them Frozen. It was a lot. Um, but I, you know, I don't necessarily know if that kind of explicit storytelling. I think the implicit storytelling is built in because you can see it in her story. What if Elsa finds a gal pal? You know, give Elsa a gal pal. If there's another ice chick out there, a lot of the fan art I've seen has been. Um, it's really funny. It's been like um, Elsa finding a girlfriend from like Agrabah or something oh, yeah, yeah. vaguely middle eastern like that in disney lore and she's like wearing um a headscarf and everything and she can do firebending like it's kind of cute <laughs> that would be kind of cool that would be kind of cute yeah well I, I i'm i'm pretty certain that there's no chance to really give elsa a girlfriend because because disney. things are done because disney but um but like certainly a very kind of interesting conversation and something to continue Steven Universe, everybody buy their stuff so they can keep making the show. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about today was uh, Glad. 
Glad to put out a, a new a new study that they recently did about uh, LGBTQ representation in film. And what they did is they took inspiration from the Bechdel test, which uh, is inspired by Alison Bechdel and one of her um, uh, cartoons in which she created a, the idea that uh, it's about the Bechdel test is about female characters in narratives and the rules of the Bechdel test are that um, in order to pass it, the story has to have a scene has to have two female characters. They have to talk to each talk other. to each other about something other than a man. And then that passes the Bechdel test. Um, and it's really surprising how few films, how few films actually pass the Bechdel test. Well, Glad has created the Vito Russo test, and Vito Russo is a co-founder of Glad, but he's also a film historian whose book, The Celluloid Closet, uh, documented the foundation. It was sort of like an analysis of LGBT portrayals in Hollywood film throughout its history. So they created the, the Vito Russo test, which is inspired by the Bechtel test. To pass the Vito Russo test, the following has to be true about a film. The film has to contain a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual, and or transgender. The character must not solely be or predominantly defined by their sexual orientation or gender identity. So they have to um, have a unique sort of combination of character traits used to differentiate their straight or non-transgender counterparts from one another. So they can't just be like, you're in the film as gay, the gay thing, and then go out. Um, and then the LGBT character must be tied into the plot in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect, meaning they are not there to simply provide colorful commentary, paint urban authenticity, or set up a punchline. The character has to matter. Does it have um, examples of what does pass? Like, do they have anything um, written? No, yet? they mostly no. The the findings that they, 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 they okay presented are just the the findings that they found, but but. It's basically like an LGBT Bechdel test. The mm -hmm. characters have to be visibly, L like, um, openly LGBT. Mm -hmm. They have to be more than just that represent that that identity, and then they have to be essential to the story. You can't mm -hmm. just have, you know, like a film couldn't just have two transgender sex workers and to make fun of, and then they're out, and that counts as representation. That wouldn't be representation. So here's what they found. Um, they found 126 studio major studio releases in two, 2015. Uh, here are kind of the general findings. Of those 126 releases, only 17.5% of the films had LGBT characters that passed the Vito Russo test. 82.5% did not. That's actually higher than I thought. Like, I thought it would be lower than that, so progress. Here's a less positive result. Oh, yay! Um, the overwhelming majority, 77% of those characters were gay men. Yeah, that makes sense. 23% were lesbians. Bisexuals represented 9% of that, and transgender individuals were 5% of those represented. Over seventy-seven percent of the characters were were male. The LGBT characters were male, and only twenty-three percent were female. Here's a real saddy, sad one. Uh, Seventy-two point three percent were white. Hmm. Um, ten percent were Latino. Eight point five percent were black, and six point four percent were Asian. And the from twenty fifteen from twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen, the representation of LGBT characters of color went down by seven percent. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's uh, love wins. Hashtag love wins. 
comedies were the most common films uh, to contain LGBT inclusive characters. The, the rest of them sort of broke down, actually. Actually, genre films, action, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, had more than, like, dramas. Yay! Yeah. Uh, you go sci-fi. And then documentaries. Of the documentaries that they, that they checked out, uh, a large number of them contained those characters. So they were not necessarily in narrative fiction, but they were in documentaries, so... So Yay! So basically, what the Vito Russo test tells us is that mainstream Hollywood filmmaking isn't doing a really good job of representing positively LGBT characters. Big surprise, right? Right. Wow. Um. Here's uh, so apart from those statistics, here's something that they also found, which was I thought kind of challenging. This is directly from their additional recommendations and their observations. This year, there was a noticeable resurgence of outright offensive depictions of LGBT people, which relied on gay panic and defamatory stereotypes for cheap laughs. Uh, among the worst were the Kevin Hart starring films Get Hard and The Wedding Ringer, which contain more blatant and incessant gay panic humor than we have seen in a Hollywood film in years. Uh, significant defamatory content pred- predicated on this type of humor was also found in the non-inclusive film Hot Tub Time Machine 2. So what they're finding is that in, in in comedies, there's an increase in the kind of like gross out humor about LGBT people that, you know, they're they're the butt of jokes or they're the source of the. I didn't know that was a man kind of like gross humor. I'm I'm almost certain that that is a, res- a direct result of and this is something you could never prove one way or another, but I'm almost certain that that kind of storytelling is a direct result of both transgender issues becoming more visible in the mainstream but then also same-sex marriage passing where it's like oh like the oppression is over we can make fun of these people again because you also see you see that kind of you see that kind of rhetoric when people are claiming racism for something they'll be like well we have a black president so racism's over and clearly that's not the case so i think i think that there's definitely some correlation between the amount that mainstream is covering queer issues um, and transgender issues um, and that becoming that that making writers feel like they're enabled to make those kinds of jokes and that it's okay now because we're talking about it on on CNN which is just obviously problematic Mm -hmm. yeah Um, I think this is I can't believe Kevin Hart still has a career I'm just gonna throw that out there I I mean I think that's fair that like he is riding the rocks, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's coattails, and I'm surprised he even reached them. Yes, that's a short joke. Neil just made a short joke. We need to have uh, the Kevin Hart test. Where like, does this film contain Kevin Hart? <laughs> yes. Don't see it. <laughs> does Kevin Hart speak to another character? <laughs> does Kevin Hart speak to himself? <laughs> Did you not go to see this? Are you um, sure that's not actually Chris Rock? <laughs> um, I think what what when I was looking at both of these stories to talk about today, the thing that I kept coming back to uh, was something that Janine Tresori said when she won the Tony for Fun Home. And uh, Fun Home is the is a, the Broadway musical that won the Tony last year, and it's based on Speaking Alison Bechdel. It's based on Alison Bechdel's book Fun Home, and it's uh, the first Broadway musical to feature uh, lesbian protagonists, and also the first Broadway musical to have uh, an all female writing team. And what she said when she won the Tony for Best Score in her speech, she said uh, how important it is for us to see women or 
or in this case, LGBT characters in a Broadway musical, because uh, you have to see it to be it. Mm. I think it's um, it's really important for all of us who who make things to think about that. I mean, even though like with Frozen Two, I was on the side of of codedness, I do think it's incredibly important for everybody who has the ability to tell stories to find positive ways to depict queer lives mm-hmm. because it's important for others to see those stories be told because I grew up and I didn't see those stories at all and so it's always been important to me now to to try to include those voices in my plays and in my work just sort of to allow that if someone comes to see it and they see that this is this is the kind of of story that can be told and this is in this story this person can exist and I can exist too that's a positive thing it's funny too because that reminds me of the the song in it ring of keys like that is Alison Bechdel's character seeing something for the first time and realizing that she can be that, and that it, it, it's permission. You you give in in a world that is heteronormative. You have to get permission to be queer at a certain point in your life, and you have to accept that permission. So I think I think that childhood representation is incredibly important for that kind of stuff. And it uh, speaking of fun home, and I thought about this earlier too. Uh, I have some friends who went out to New York to who are from Oklahoma and they went out to see fun home on Broadway and they saw a bunch of shows during that time and sort of reveal their responses to the shows every time. And in, in their response to fun home made it a point the whole time to, to say like, I I appreciated the writing. I appreciated the stagecraft. I appreciated this, but the characters were lesbian and I could not relate to that because I am not that. And it, it reminds me how, how much, how far we have to go because I relate to heterosexual characters and stories, even though that is not my story. I understand that our humanity mm-hmm. is the same mm-hmm. and we just don't have enough queer characters in things for everyone to understand that you can relate to them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you have to see it to be it and not just see it to be it, but you have to see it to relate to it. You have to see it to recognize that the queer experience although may have some details that are different is at its core fundamentally humanly the same as any other experience. It's just like how arrogant, like that's so arrogant to like say like, I can't relate to this because you're different from me. And it's like, I'm sorry. Are you a green witch? Then how are you able to relate to the themes on wicked? Like, sorry, you don't live in a magical world where flying monkeys exist. So you cannot, emotionally connect to wicked by that logic well it's because queer lives are not visible fair but i'm just green witches have been visible <laughs> like they've been visible green lives matter she's been visible since the 2000 however whatever. 2006 or in the wizard of oz but no like, like queer lives have not been visible so for people who are not queer i think it's easy for us to forget how how foreign and how different queer lives look when you don't see them ever that's our queer privilege. We have queer privilege. Like we see queerness all the time. We live queerness all the time. We're surrounded by people who are comfortable with queerness. We're surrounded by people who are queer as well. So the queerness of our existence doesn't seem unfamiliar. Our queerness isn't queer. It isn't queer to us. But to people who don't see this every day, it's very queer. That's very unfortunate for them. I feel I feel sorry for them, yeah. honestly. Like, And it's not to say like, oh, queer is superior. Yeah. But it's also just like... If you can't watch Fun Home and like cry by the end of it, 
I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that you felt like you couldn't emotionally connect to those characters because those characters are worth connecting to. They are so worth connecting to. There's a reason why that show is doing as well. It did as well as it did, as well as is continuing to do as well as it is. It's a wonderfully crafted narrative. It's, it's, just technically speaking beautiful the the music is great the stagecraft is ridiculous the performances are amazing and it's in the round like how exciting can you be for a a queer narrative that's like let's put it in the round while we're at it why not well it's you know as it's my it's my favorite musical that i've seen in a really long time and i think it's a beautiful universal story about accepting yourself and coming to learn who you are and and appreciate who you are and even just finding a word for it yeah finding a word for it and um yeah i think yeah, anybody can relate to it but i think you're going to ha- we're going to have to have more stories like that in the mainstream for everyone to get to that place where they will all where they will be able to see it and relate to it. So when's the Fun Home movie coming out? The Fun Home movie probably will never come out. I can't see that as a film. I mean, if I don't know, Cats is now going to be a movie, so and if all rent, bets if are rent off. can be a movie, all bets are off. Okay, okay, but Dreamcast, Dreamcasting right now. Um, Fun Home will become a movie by the time it's allowed to be a movie. Cindy Lucas will be able to play Middle Allison. I'm 100% behind that. <laughs> Give her all of the paychecks. I know she's not in the show anymore. Somebody needs to continue paying her for being her because she is a wonderful little girl. 100% behind that. So that is our episode for this week. Thank Yay. you for tuning in as always. Uh, as always, uh, head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and give us a review if you like what you were hearing. You can find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit or you can find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com. We really appreciate everybody who's been listening and supporting the podcast. And uh, we will see you next week. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Bye. Spay and new to your pets.